Okay, Brian, warm up. Unique New York. Unique New York. Even Torch was denied a bank loan. How now, brown cow? How now, brown cow? Brendan, how are you doing? Hey, how you doing? Welcome to episode 24. I think we're on 24. And I'm Brendan. I'm actually recording away from Austin. I'm here visiting my parents in Cambridge, and I am actually sitting with my dad. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. Uh, hi, Brendan. Oh, yeah, uh, I'm Michael, and uh, just uh, hope your community doesn't mind that fact that you've taken those top-secret podcast documents away from Austin to your home here in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Yeah, uh, I declassified them on the way home, so Fantastic. I think we're good. Good, we're not in trouble. But yeah, we're, we're here in Cambridge, and so if it sounds a little different, if it sounds better, that's why. Um, when do... <laughs> A little, uh, what's on the wrist first before we go into anything? Yeah, yeah, that sounds good, Brandon. I'm, I'm fortunate enough uh, to have this beautiful 1976 Tudor snowflake on my wrist, courtesy of Jay, who's uh, sponsoring today's podcast from oh, Austin. <laughs> yeah, so thanks, Jay, for uh, for this uh, Tudor. I've been. Uh, Wearing it. Actually, uh, we were at the casino the other day at the Encore Casino, I think, Brendan, in Everett, Mass. Yep, and Everett, uh, Mass. we're running out of cash. Uh, Brendan uh, kind of held me back from pawning off the snowflake, Jay. So hopefully uh, you should thank Brendan for that one. <laughs> Jay, if you're listening, he was planning to just send you the link afterwards to the store and say, hey, your watch is over here if you were going to ask for it. So you can go buy it. But that's actually funny because so Jay lets you borrow that i let you borrow my doxa kind of funny we do things uh inverted in this house i guess instead of the fathers passing down watches to their sons the sons pass watches up to the fathers it's fantastic brent i never have to buy another watch i can just get them from all you guys <laughs> saul if you're listening i want your uh <laughs> one here uh mings or whatever yeah. you have on um and i'm sporting my pepsi i usually like rocking that when i'm traveling and it was actually funny because we found my mom's Pan Am stewardess uh, memorabilia. So she used to work as a st- stewardess back what, in the 70s, back then in, in, in Pan Am. And we found her pendant, her offer letter, her first paycheck, and also her like certificate of training. And all of these, her um, colleagues were putting recommendations for her to get promoted and saying all this nice stuff. So I took a few photos of that. That was pretty nice. Oh, to add on to that Pan Am experience from your mom there, Brent, <clears throat> she's from Malaysia and she had to compete. This is just like in that movie, Catch Me If You Can. She had to compete with uh, like a, I don't know, a couple hundred other people in Malaysia wanting that job. She got it. And in the local newspaper, she and a, another girl there, uh, it was like the headlines in the newspaper that they got the Pan Am, uh, flight attendant jobs and you met her uh on the airlines right that's where you guys met <laughs> yeah i was uh r&r from vietnam Your first class I was in <laughs> now i came uh, we both i came to go to northeastern on a hockey scholarship and she uh, went to northeastern because it was probably affordable yeah. at the so we met in the university there <laughs> but not affordable these days not affordable these Alexis days. each year to send a kid well, there crazy that's why you guys went to umass amherst yes um, so speaking of history, and wh- why don't we talk about your ASL, your watch uh, history, how you got into into watches? Yeah, thanks, Brent. 
I, this my story uh, started probably in fourth grade. Uh, my uh, dad got me a, a Timex. Uh, it was a wind up, you know, automatic. Excuse me, uh, manual uh, wind Timex. I was so excited. I have a watch, you know, and I think it was the second day I had it. I was winded it, winding it, and overwound it, and it broke. I was so disappointed, and from that moment in time, I hated Timex. They had those. Uh, <laughs> John Cameron Swayze commercials, how it could take a licking and keep on ticking. I, 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 I wanted it, to go hunt. take a fourth grader's... Uh, yeah, I wanted to that. hunt him down and uh, just uh, destroy the guy because I was so upset. And from that moment, I, I was anti-watch. And I didn't have watches even through high school. All my friends had watches. Everyone had watches back then. I didn't have watches. And it was when I graduated from college... I took my first job in California from came uh, from Boston here, and I remember going into I think it was a Dollar is it called Dollard department stores or something? Uh, Dillard's. 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 Yeah. Dillard, yeah. yeah. And I bought a <clears throat> quartz was the big thing back then, yeah. so I got a quartz a Seiko quartz, more of a dress watch, and I wore that for a while. And then I think the next watch I was. L.L. Bean. Uh, I remember kinda, that one. Yeah. <laughs> watch. I remember that one. Yeah. And then <clears throat> it was a field watch. And then probably in the 90s, I started, uh, maybe when watches became more on social media, um, you know, they, there were a lot of watch forums I started joining. And I really got interested in Seiko Citizen Orient watches because they were affordable uh, they had the, you know, the magic of the automatic or mechanical watches. Uh, they had some history to them. And I started collecting them like crazy. I had, it must have been about 30 different types. And I was a member, uh, early member of the Seiko Citizen Watch Forum, which was eventually absorbed by Watch You Seek. And I was an early member of Watch You Seek. And, you know, trading these watches constantly. I mean, we're just talking for an SKX back then, like 125 bucks or 150 at the most. And then my taste kind of changed over time. I started going more interested in kind of the Swiss-made watches. And uh, then I determined that my, you know, I started selling off all the old, all the Japanese and Asian watches and got more into kind of the Swiss brands. But I think the, 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 my collection story is basically I'm interested in watches with histories mm. and watches that have a uh, particularly dive pilot or field watches uh, like ones worn in Vietnam, uh, World War II types, the Dirty Dozen type, uh, the, uh, you know, something with a history, something that people wear, uh, you know, good stories like... Um, uh, not so much. I'm not into, uh, though I like it. I love watches in movies, but I'm not drawn to buy a watch because it was in a movie. I'm sure. uh, like a lot of folks like that, but I'd rather have that guy who wore that watch on his, I think he wore a Braemont through his, uh, forget the, the, the hike, the, the climber, but, uh, he wore it up through, um, like several, uh, of the highest peaks. And he did that in short time period everyone's probably knows the name i, I forget that off sure. the top of my head but you like more of an authentic 
story, not just a fictional yeah, movie yeah. story behind a watch. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. A, a shout out to the uh, Wrist Cheese uh, uh, podcast. They interviewed a guy who was. Oh a no, s- we don't shout out. No, just kidding. Those, <laughs> those guys are funny. Yeah, those guys are very good, and uh, they they interviewed a, a friend of theirs, I guess, that they knew. He's a stuntman. And he was talking about the the watches he wore on on movie sets and actually doing his stunts, and that was impressive. I was more impressed by what he would be on his wrist than any kind of movie star. So I like watches that have a history that actually did something in that history, and uh, so that's what I'm motivated by. That's my watch story. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. Uh, let me. This is turned up a bit. I think it's a little quiet uh brand before i even get going now uh aren't you uh, launching a new um flippers report a flippers report is that uh what do you uh you can report on what watches are hot to flip these days that's i thought <laughs> i'd add that as a new a new segment i wish yeah i haven't i don't know i think maybe i mean we're talking mings we're talking mings. Uh, okay we're talk- I, have, I do have a ming coming on the way yeah rolexes yeah I, I, my rolex oh yeah are you surprised i still have the pepsi you actually thought i sold it right yeah he does have the pepsi still <laughs> i'm gonna kill josh for starting that joke I don't, it doesn't seem to end um so what did you want to get into first because today we're going to talk about my, mostly micro brands and you wanted to talk a little bit about uh movements right yeah, I think, you know, in and we're we're kind of talking in this episode about mid-range watches uh, for everyone uh, because that seems to be the most uh common purchases for most of us. Uh we do get some high-end purchases. Uh Brendan and I always talk about the three tiers of watches. The first tier is anything below like $300 or below $500. The second tier is like from 500 to a little wider range, maybe up to 2500 or even 3000. And the third tier would be like, uh, you know, above 5,000 to maybe 12,000. And then that next tier is something no one's going to be buying. You know, it's the 40, 50, $80,000 uh, watches. So, uh, but in that main tier that we're existing here, uh, there, uh, I want to talk about movements because a lot of people, I, well, a lot of people listening to this or our one listener here probably understands <laughs> the, 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 the movements uh, it's have, actually just jay listening yeah thanks jay uh and but there are a lot of uh, movements out there and people get kind of confused what's a good movement what's a bad movement i was trying to trying to do research brand uh that would help say yeah saleta is better than you know eta or you know kinesi is better uh, is the best movement uh, for that range or le jus per Pare, uh, Pare is better, or Suprad, or STP, and Seiko has the various 4Rs, 6Rs movements, and Miyota's 8-series, 9-series. So what? All of, those are the main movements, really, that I just mentioned. Uh, so what differentiates those movements? Well, I think the first thing you want to talk about is how Etta is basically the granddaddy of all of them. Started in like the middle of the 19th century by Eterna. They merged with FHF and then eventually with uh, ASWAG and SSIH, um, you know, the Swatch Group. And they supplied a lot of their movements to many different brands. They're known as an Ebok, uh, you know, watch movement manufacturer. Um, and I think they, they really have their hands in a lot of brands' history. 
I mean, even if you look at uh, Omega, some of the Omega, which is you know obviously owned by Swash, but some of the Omega movements that were made by ETA were ended up going and being made into like an Omega twenty five hundred series or whatever. So, I mean, ETA is, and then you have Salida, who is you know they basically make a clone out of ETA. So they're they're I would consider ETA to be the, the you know the grandfather of all these, you know you know, the watch movement world. But. Yeah, the DNA of the architecture of Edda seems to then live out through Salida and, and all the rest. And uh, <clears throat> and you're right, I think some some big brands were reliant on uh, on Edda. It wasn't uh, like Tudor using Edda's and then now they're the Kinesi movement? That, that yeah. yeah, so around 2010, Tudor started developing their uh, a project to make their own movements. And in 2015, they actually... Um, announced their new caliber, um, and they they borrowed a lot from the Rolex technology. So they had a full balance bridge, silicon uh, hairspring, um, and so they actually this 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 project this this company called Kinesi really supplies um, movements to Tudor, Breitling, Chanel, and Norcane, Kangang baby. So um, <laughs> yeah, and, I'm, and it's a nice looking movement. I think each company they differentiate it by putting a different rotor on it, and I think the Norcane doesn't have the the silicon hairspring. I think the other ones do. But it was actually in a lot of uh, with Tudor watches. I think it won a few Grand Prix of Horology awards over the years. So um, you know, it's a celebrated movement. I think it's it's uh, it's something to keep you know your eyes on. I think it's going to be more. Uh, used throughout more um, luxury brands maybe going forward yeah i think you're talking about materials and everything so some differentiators uh just just the level set things typically i mentioned those myota and and seiko style movements for this mid-range they have a a larger tolerance i think brendan they they have Mm -hmm. a plus minus 20 seconds for those movements out there Uh, whereas the swiss uh uh, ones in that mid-range have a tighter tolerance it seems plus or minus 12 seconds for those so so right off the bat, there's a there's a uh, a, a I guess a performance difference, accuracy difference between the two, and uh, but then there are other things to consider, like the type of materials. Talk about silicon balance spring. You know what's the power reserve? Can that movement hack? Basically, stop the second hand for accurate uh, time setting. Are there complications that are interesting, like uh, dates and alarms, power reserve, GMT? Is it shock proof, uh, shock resistant, and is it anti magnetic? That seems to be really important from all you know from your phone and computers have magnets in for all the speakers. So you know they're really your 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 uh, your, uh, your watches are always at risk at being magnetized. Yeah. So the <clears throat> number of jewels and just the overall workmanship of the movement. You know you have like Geneva stripes and perlage and heat blued hands and screws. So what's you know, if you look at the movement, so consider those uh, uh, mm-hmm. characteristics when you're when you're uh, thinking about uh, trying to price something. Is this worth the price? Is a five hundred dollar Hamilton with an ETA movement uh, and a pretty good power reserve of eighty hours, say, better than uh, a um, uh, maybe a, we'll be talking about uh, the micro brands, but a micro brand movement with a NH uh, a Seiko NH thirty five A movement. Uh, so at the, about the same price, yeah. you know, so that's the movement. And then maybe the materials are different, uh, but this is giving you a bit of a, um, uh, a point to judge 
different watches from yeah that makes sense always look at the you know look at the guts of the watch uh you're buying something functional mechanical you're not just buying something like jewelry that looks good on your wrist right there's actually something ticking in there so yeah because we're always at that point where uh i always hear uh people comment and like watch you seek you know twelve hundred dollars that thing has a uh you know, an NH35A movement in it, you know, or, uh, yeah. you know, sometimes it, it, you know, can, uh, be significant to know this because, you know, you're, you're, you might be paying a thousand dollars and it's a, you know, some kind of Chinese movement, or maybe it's a lower end Miyota movement, you know, an eight series. I see that often in micro brands, they have that rattler, you know, that eight, that eight series, uh, Miyota movement is very noisy and it's, yeah. you know, the specs are not too tight on that, but it does, but then it's 9015 Miyota movements much better. You know, it's a higher beat. And so, yeah, to your point, I think it's really important to be looking at these movements when you're looking and at micro brands, right? Cause micro brands oftentimes are not going to have in-house movements. They're going to be using Salida, most likely, or Myota movements, um, or some kind of partnership that they have with another uh, watch movement manufacturer. So um, I think maybe that's a good segue into to micro brands. Right? <clears throat> yeah, it is, and <clears throat> and uh, I think micro brands today really uh, are are covering this new middle range of watches we we're talking about, from five hundred dollars maybe mm-hmm. to up to three thousand even. In micro brands, there I was reading that there's a definition that micro brands typically produce like three hundred to three thousand watches a year. Uh, you know, some of the micro brands that that we all know, there are many out there. Uh, uh, some of them seem to be based on a rebooted brand name like uh, like Aqua Star. Yeah. Or, so uh, let, let's talk about that because we have. In your category of microbrands, there's all these different subgenres of what a microbrand is, right? So yeah. you have what you were talking about, the history reboot. So that would be like Vertex, Aquastar, maybe Doxa. I don't know if they, they are defined as a microbrand anymore. Airain is another one. Airain. Those uh, are all history Gretchen. Okay. Yeah, Ben Ross. Okay. And then you have ones that are kind of, you know, brand new ideas that are... Uh, oh, and then like, yeah, like Formex, yeah, Formex uh, in the '90s, yeah, they came out of kind of nowhere with like their new technology of the you know suspension system. In the case, you have brands like um, Autodromo, uh, Autodromo, uh, even brands like Unimatic. I mean, even in our own backyard, uh, Dufresne. I mean, these are all kind of like new brands that just have new ideas, maybe new designs. Um, and then you have another class of microbrands that would, I, I don't know, I guess you would classify them as someone, they're, they're like hyped brands, right? They're, yeah. they, they have either someone behind them that is um, impressive or they do something with the watch that's impressive. So I think of brands like Ming and Corono, where Corono, you have um, uh, Hajime behind it, who's uh, an ACHI uh, watch uh, maker member and so yeah. he's very prestigious prestigious um watchmaker that's behind his own company although he doesn't like you know make the watches himself he's behind the the brand right so there was like this big hype around that especially because when he first started selling them they were kind of sold i think in the tick 
TikTok or Tic Tac stores. Yeah, Tic Tac. And it was like kind of like <laughs> you could buy it like like off the shelf like a Seiko. So people were going nuts off, off you know over that. But then with Ming, it's I think it's more of like the design. It's so unique. Mm. Um, it's so different, and they actually have a partnership with uh, Etienne or Schwartz Etienne, the Swiss mm. watchmaking uh, manufacturer. So they have. You know they're, they're they're differentiating themselves a little bit because they're not just using the typical movement. They're not just the typical design. So I think that's why there's those hype micro brands. And I I honestly think of it like bands. You know, like you have all these bands. Mm. Most of them are doing the same thing, but the ones that are oh, hyped are no. sticking out. They end up going places. Yeah, there's also uh, what I call the watch luthiers, Brandon. Yeah, <clears throat> you know. Uh, uh, Brendan and I also are into guitars, and, and they have these individual makers. Uh, you know, Martin is the big, say, acoustic guitar maker, but they have these individual makers, uh, handmade guitars selling for 20, 30, or even more thousands of dollars. And it's kind of like the equivalent in the watch world. You have these individual watchmakers by hand do everything and have really beautiful complications, unique pieces, which sell like under over a hundred thousand dollars so but we're not talking about those even though yeah uh they might technically qualify as a micro brand but i'm again micro brands low volume and also a price range between 500 yeah, that's a good 3, way to 000. look at it yeah so those two and it's yeah it's not handmade custom <coughs> bespoke type of watch right so. so we're not in that but uh yeah there's a new middle ground too i think <laughs> one one thing i noticed was uh you know that uh, uh, the micro brands are are really when they came on the scene in the early two thousands, they had social media to help them out. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they didn't need to have storefronts and they didn't have to pay pay for advertising. There were you know a lot of uh, uh, communication of their brand through uh, social media sites and everything. So they they really have kind of picked up and helped in that middle uh, ground space. <clears throat> Whereas like I think it's like. Uh, Brands that could have been affordable to folks back in the 80s and 90s, like Breitling, Panera, Omega, and even Rolex. Panera Bread? Yeah. Panerai? Panera Bread? Damn, when did they start making watches made out of bread? Okay. You can eat the watch. But uh, for a case in point, back in like uh, when your brother was born in 1986, I could have celebrated his birth by buying a GMT master uh, reference 1675 for 1450 bucks oh. and in today's prices uh adjusted for inflation 2022 that would be uh, 3900 uh, yeah it's way above that <laughs> so it's actually cur- way above that so your current gmt master reference uh 126710 is crossing that 10,000 mark now <clears throat> so a lot of these brands that were available yeah panera bread brand mm-hmm. And uh, Breitling and Omega, they really shifted in price range. And filling that is the microbrand range. And I have to say Seiko is still there. And a lot of the Swatch brands, uh, other Swatch companies apart from Omega, have stayed steady like uh, Hamilton, uh, Mito. Hamilton, Hamilton just came out with that kind of cool textured dialed uh, military pilot watch uh just like today right that's, yeah that's, that's kind of cool it's like for 1200 bucks and yeah. you get like a looks like some enameling but probably not it's just a nice textured dial yeah yeah so mm-hmm. hamilton and mito certina 
uh, Longines. They they stay that range is still uh, affordable for for that mid range of uh, watch yeah. buyers. So, how would you define a micro brand? Then I, I I noticed you define it in a few ways, but why don't you just restate how you would define what a, what what a micro brand is? Yeah, so <clears throat> it would be uh, I'm I'm thinking a price range definitely under three thousand, probably between five hundred dollars and twenty five hundred dollars. So their catalog is mostly filling that. Yeah, that price range. Okay. and I and I mentioned uh, about uh, a production of maybe three hundred to two thousand. Mm-hmm. So that would exclude your luthier, uh, your 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 watch luthier, who's probably just making about five a year or maybe less. Um, okay. Yeah. So right. and I think that's a pretty simple. Uh, you know, I think it actually because it's such a simple definition. I think it's actually uh, it works in a lot of cases there. Yeah. So those two characteristics. I, I think the advantages brand into the micro brands is, of course, it's pretty obvious the low cost, no middlemen, no stores or advertising needed. Uh, and they seem to be innovative in, in yeah. some of the designs. You know, they, I remember, uh, <laughs> there's always, uh, they always started using sapphire, uh, dome, uh, sapphire crystals and people were always complaining, why doesn't Seiko for that same price, they keep using that hard Lex, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mineral crystal, what's going on here? And now you see the brands like Seiko getting into the sapphire they know that's a differentiator and people wanting to buy a, a good quality made watch so so that's a good segue it's what you know what are the advantages that we're getting from micro brands so the first one right off the bat is you're saying that it's pushing these other kind of uh old school companies that have been around the block for decades it's pushing them to deliver more value for the dollar Exactly, exactly. And materials uh, specifically like sapphire crystals, titanium cases, and different, uh, you know, uh, some of the um, <clears throat> design capabilities, like I think was it uh, Formax has replaceable bezels and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Yeah, I know a huge thing right now is like having easy bracelet adjustment and removal from your case without like tools really um just using your fingers um so i think that's pretty cool cool trend that i've been seeing what other uh advantages would you say in micro brands i think for me one that you you know you mentioned before is just like the low cost there's no uh middlemen right you're getting rid of the stores um there's maybe even more um exacting advertising you don't see micro brands you know filling up billboard signs on the side of the highway like uh like rolex does and omega does yeah Um, you don't see them like paying celebrities a lot of money to to rock their 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 wristwatches so for me i think the value is pretty pretty clear cut that you're getting a lot of value for the dollar when i see all that advertising and and these uh folks they um basically they're uh ambassadors they sign up uh it's a, that's a turnoff. I think that's a turnoff for, uh, I think for us more watch enthusiasts, maybe that, that brings in the non-watch enthusiasts more, but that does really add up the costs, all their stores, all that advertising billboards and the personalities they have to get on board. So mm-hmm. that, that's, that's a red flag for me as far as uh, on that cost. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you also mentioned it before. Another advantage really is the innovation that these brands are going through. Like we have, you know, you have micro brands like Baltic that are putting out uh, a micro rotor. Right? Yeah. 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 So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. They're really pushing it. Even uh, Yima, uh, which mm-hmm. is a, a French brand. Uh, I, 
I actually like a lot of the designs, and they have a good history. They have a little micro rotor too wow. that they're putting going to put in. They already started uh, producing their own movements. Uh, I'm sure they're not, you know, tooling the own uh, the the parts of the of the movement. They're probably sourcing all the parts, but they're assembling everything together into their own. They have their uh, own uh, watchmaking, like lab. They and do building. They and everything. do. So yeah, there and there's a lot, and I classify them maybe. They might be just on the edge of leaving that micro brand territory, like Doxa. So, Doxa yeah, produces a lot too. Th- that's something that um, I wanted to talk about before um, we get into the disadvantages. But mm. when a brand is doing so well, are they? Do you think there's a path for them to become one of the old guard, like to become like one of the top tier watch companies, like maybe internationally known to a, to a certain degree, like, is there a pathway for them or is it just you're the top tier micro brand and you're never going to break out of that? Yeah, I think time is interesting. It's like Bell and Ross when they came around, was it the early nineties? Yeah, I 90s, think yeah. when they first came out, you know, uh, and I, yeah, I was in New York city in Chinatown. I, uh, I, I, this is when Brennan was either in middle school or entering high school. I bought him a, a fake Bell and Ross pilot watch. <laughs> yeah, I remember that that strap broke after like a few weeks of wearing it. But when, <laughs> it like disintegrated and gave my wrist cancer. I think. <laughs> but it was. Uh, but I thought Bell and Ross had a history. You know, I was really. Uh, I thought, oh, this isn't. This watch goes back maybe back into close World War II days or something. And and uh, I didn't realize they're fairly new. Yeah. And uh, so I can see the Good same marketing. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Maybe, but I can see it doesn't take too long for a brand. If that brand can hang in there for about fifteen years, twenty years, I think they're on their way as being an established brand these days. Like uh, Baltic would be a good example. They they produce great stuff. They have a, a, a their own kind of well. They I was going to say their own design language, perhaps, but it's definitely based on a heritage kind of look to their watches. But to the to your point, Brent, I think it, uh, they will become uh, more mainstream. I guess okay. over time. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely I think one of the markers for that, like, because you think about how do I how do you determine if a micro brand is like progressing beyond its 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 borders, right? I think mm. one of the, the the markers is having their watches in stores, you know, in physical like jeweler stores, you know. Um, I know Zodiac is owned by Fossil, but, uh, you know, they have a, a pattern of, of having their watches in different um, dealers, like authorized dealers throughout the world. And I think they're trying to get like a core set into a more, um, more expected core set into a bunch of these stores. So I think that's, I don't know if that's, you know, a marker or indicator of success, but I feel like it would be, you know? Yeah. Well, brands like Zodiac, <clears throat> um, and there are a few others that have a big company behind them these yeah. days. And, and this kind of reminds me of like those beer companies like Budweiser buying Blue Moon or something. And, uh, yeah. and people look at Blue Moon as a Coke slow buying m- Topo Chico. Yeah, this, this micro brewery. Wow, this is special. But it's owned by this huge conglomerate. Yeah. I think that happens in the Swatch space uh, exactly like that. So so maybe that, that, that's the that's the future, though. You, you, you kind of like you, your band. If you think about the band reference, your band's getting so good good you get signed by a major label and you just get exactly out, right? like like zodiac came back to life i could, I could see yeah you know, some of those other players uh doxa the synchron group owns doxa 
uh, I think maybe that's going to happen like in the beer world, you know, some of these going to round them all up. Yeah, just own all the micro brands. Maybe, uh, you know, Swatch Group eventually buys Baltic, you know, and uh, and, and once it gets to be a certain size and uh, success. Okay. That's an interesting pathway for those. So let's talk about the disadvantages of micro brands. Yeah, so we we have a few here, uh, like support. You know, um, I I just recently bought uh, Aquastar watch. Uh, I really like Aquastar. It really came out. It was a reborn uh, old brand. I uh, still have a positive outlook on them. That's that's funny because I've heard nothing but horror stories from you and someone else, uh, Jeff, in the group. Yeah, and, uh, you guys did not have out of the two people that bought Aquastars in the group. You guys both had pretty nasty problems with it. Which, well, I think Jeff's problem is a bit more nasty because it's supposed to be waterproof, water resistant. He had it all sealed up, and water got in the case. My my case, my problem was the crown. When I unwind, it was hard to unwind the crown to wind it, and it wouldn't wind the hand or wouldn't turn the hands counterclockwise when I needed to do okay. that. Yeah. I don't- <laughs> I would just send it back, but send, uh, that, send that guy back to the chef. Yeah, so there's a support issue there. That that's probably under a QC issue, uh, quality control issue, because maybe they outsource QC for their watches because they're such a small place. Uh, but the support, maybe it's a staffing issue because sometimes it's hard to uh, get replies. Not, I, I'm not picking on Aquastar. I Rick Marai who did wonders at. Doxa, and he he's now taking over the reins at Aquastar, and I think it, it's Aquastar is a good watch. I really like it. Uh, they use uh, for their um, chronographs uh, leisure pure movements, and uh, I I just love the design, you know. And uh, so I'm willing. I yeah. guess people like myself are willing to put some of the issues that come about from a micro brand. Okay. So a little more QC issues that might come by support is all basically online. You can't, uh, there's no like authorized dealer that you can walk into and say, Hey, just take care of this for me. It's all pretty much online concierge. Yeah. It gets Um, a little complicated where, you know, if you do it, getting it sent out somewhere, do you send it back overseas or to Florida? (laughs) I feel like they usually have those intake locations in Florida. Yeah. They they just take it from Florida and send it off. Uh, another thing I would say is availability like in-person sales um is not something you can experience you actually have to travel to like wind up you know yeah yeah um exactly. where they'll have like a bunch of watches and so you have unless you live in san francisco chicago or new york city uh you're gonna have to travel to like try before you buy and like I, i'm not sure I, i'm pretty sure that um these micro brands have a, you know return policies probably some better than others but it is still a pain. You have to buy something, you get it, you try it on, you don't like it, you have to go through the hassle of returning it. It's probably, you know, you don't want to yeah. do that, right? So Maybe maybe a, a tip for the micro brands is uh, maybe they should have more pop-up experiences where they, you know, like uh, they, they can go to major cities and communicate to this through social media. Hey, we're going to be in Boston. We're going to be showing all our watches here for, uh, for like two weeks. You know, we have rented the space. And- I want to say Oris did that. For some reason, I in my in the back of my mind, we'll have to look that up. But I feel like Oris did something like that. 
But yeah, I know that the Warby Parker model is where they take that van around and they drive it around each city and say, yeah. hey, try on the glasses, you know? Yeah. I think, like, if if Warren and Wound did that with, like, a bunch of, uh, you know, other brands' watches. Wow, that's a great idea, uh, Brent. And then each brand would pay into that service to pay for it. Like, hey, yeah. do this tour for me. But, you know, the, the thing about uh, Windup is that the 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 people behind those companies, they like being there and, and, and having the actual face behind the brand to talk about their own watches yeah. where I don't know if they, if they would trust other people to do that. You know, but, I think, uh, <coughs> Zaash, Zaosh from uh, Warren Zah, and Wound. I think it's, it's French. Zah. Zah from, uh, wind up from Warren and Wound. You just gave him a great idea. He'll, he'll be driving the, I'll the drive van for him. Me and Jay will go around. Yeah. With a wind up van yeah. with all the different watches. Just expense everything. Going to all the, we'll, all the stay, good... we'll only stay at the Ritz. <laughs> but yeah, so other other problems, I think, you know, from a, if you're collecting stuff, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm interested in history, you know, something about the watch that has history or maybe even current day it's in use, like a stuntman is using it or it's been on some great adventures and it's survived. Uh, so some of these brands don't have that history. Yeah. Some do like the rebooted ones yeah. uh, have that history, but a lot don't like, you know, um, but the ones that do have the history, like air rain is producing some new models and I mean, based on old designs, Ben Ross has a great military watch of vertex. Uh, they, they have these established ones with already built in history, even though they're reborn brands, those are attractive to me. Uh, but other people who are into new design, like Formex and maybe uh, Autodromo, Dufresne, yeah, Ming, all those, yeah, Carano, that, and, yeah. But for me, uh, I'm, I guess, I'm more leaning towards like a historical and um, you know some of these traditional designs. Okay. Uh, but but yeah, so uh, but there is a lack of history that maybe doesn't attract me to some of these brands because that I want some history. There. Okay. Maybe that'll build for them. In, in yeah, that'll. Uh, yeah, eventually it will build. I mean, they all have to start somewhere, right? So, yeah. I I totally get it. Um, if you're into history and you're into the history of watches, then there's a section of microbrands that may not be for you. But uh, I actually like the ones that all the ones that I just mentioned. I like them because they're so different. You know, I like that they don't have a history. I like that they're new and mm. and and they're kind of pushing the design boundaries of what a watch is. But yeah, um, young young guy, old guy, yeah, you know, there you just go. The, the differences. <laughs> uh, the other thing is, I'm thinking that uh, maybe the resale value. Uh, you know, we yeah, the resale it. value. I think definitely a big disadvantage for most micro brands. Some of them, like the hyped ones, yeah. obviously you have some benefit there but most of them when you go to sell it no one knows there's no recognizability on that brand right yeah. so people really are not going to uh pay top dollar for it you're going to get like 50 percent what you paid yeah so uh future uh future podcast brand i recommend the uh, flipping report the flipping report yeah and but for me i'll just talk about how much money i lost selling watches <laughs> and also wh one last thing about the disadvantage sometimes you know uh, these really small micro brands and I don't think they have failed people too much in the, um, you know, the, the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, servicing? No, when they're delivery trying to get money to create their, um, oh, the Kickstarter stuff. Kickstarter, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Older guy, memory problem here. But Kickstarter, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, most people usually they, from what I've read, they come through for most. By the way, by the way, I just have to say this. My yeah, my my mom's been calling Dad Joe Biden because he keeps on doing the memory <laughs> problem thing. <laughs> yeah, I, just put yeah, that in there. I, I yeah, I enjoy uh, walking like him now to, to, to really. Sorry, Go sorry, into what, character. What were you saying? You're saying that, uh, yeah, the Kickstarter. You're trying to test my memory. Yeah, here? trying to test your memory. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I, I think that um, uh, they're pretty reliable. Like people will get their watch eventually, but a lot of the, you know, a lot of these watches, you're going to wait for months. I waited many months for my Aquastar. Yeah, but I trusted that they were going to come through because they did have the backing of uh, a Synchron. No, no, Synchron. Uh, they're uh. Is it? I don't know. Yeah, is it Synchron on Aquastar? We'll figure that out. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> I'm doing Joe Biden again. He's doing Joe Biden, folks. <laughs> Joe Biden. So, uh, but then, you know, you do worry if they're going to be here today and gone tomorrow type of thing. Yeah. Like, And I'm not sure, looking back at some of the micro brands, which ones have already kind of died uh, yeah. an early death. Well, and that, and that, you know, the service, long-term service too, not even just, uh, you know, resale, um, or people withholding you know, the product from you when you buy it from them. But um, long-term, you buy a watch. If it's a, you know, a, a Salita or a Saleta, Salita, Salita, I always say those wrong. I guess I had you saying it wrong. Yeah, like, you kept on saying it wrong, so now I'm saying it wrong. Panera. Panera, shit. Panera bread. Um, <laughs> Banbridge. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Uh, Bain, Bainbridge instead of Benbridge, Bainbridge, huh? Um, uh, no, that's how you say it. Um, but now I even lost my train of thought. I was going to say that long-term you are not going to be able to have service parts for those, um, micro brands if they use like custom parts. So if you look at like Ming, right, their Sapphire crystal is etched on the underside Mm, with loom and their like our, uh, their indices, their chapter ring is basically on their sapphire crystal. So if you like crack that somehow and Ming was no longer there, you would have like a uh, chapter ringless uh, watch going forward because you'd have to find some aftermarket, you know, sapphire crystal. Yeah, so that's, that's a great point. To, yeah, think a, about. a bit of a, a cost or a, a risk that you take with some of the innovation. So if you're risky, only buy micro brands. Actually, I, I would I would advise people to buy micro brands if you really like them, buy them uh, new if you want to support the brand. But if you're looking financially, to, to always buy used because you're always gonna take a hit if you buy it new, unless it's one of those hype brands. But if you want to support the 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 brand, you you met the person behind it and and wind up definitely yeah. If you have the cash, support them if you want. Yeah, speaking of collecting brand, I thought there's a little thing I wanted to add here towards this end of this discussion, and that's uh, the future of collecting, the collecting market. It's something I, I noted to you before that uh, when I was in the, say, the 90s looking to get uh, vintage pieces, the vintage pieces were in really rough shape back then because you have to think of the way watches were worn by people a person would buy one watch wear it their whole life wear it all the time doing everything so they took a beating so people into vintage watches in the 80s and 90s got really bad examples of watches yeah but today and going forward i think the vintage watches are going to be great because uh people who have watches today are typically watch lovers they have many watches they take care of their watches 
So uh, in the year 2030, when you're looking for a vintage Rolex from the uh, you know, late 90s or early 2000s, it's going to be in pristine condition. So it's a, going forward, I think the vintage market's going to be really, really interesting. Uh, so that's a little, sorry, a little off the microbrand area, but more into the collecting area. Okay. Well, um, let's close it out with an ASMR. I just got reunited with my Doxa, so I'm going to do that one. Okay, and I got the oh, Dude, that's yeah, that's. I got the fit. friction yeah, uh, bezel, so you, you're hearing nothing. Uh, sweet sound sounds like sounds like expensive. How now, brown brown cow. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for listening. Take thanks. it easy. Thanks, Brent. Thanks, guys.